Hey, I just want to reiterate what uh, Shelly really just said about uh, the Feed Our City parties. Uh, these are the packets that you can pick up out at uh, Action 365. And, and all I want to say in addition to what she said is, I'll be really, really disappointed if we don't have 50 parties across our city. Um, because there are people, all of us can step up and do this, and it's a great way for you to reach out and uh, meet your neighbors and uh, interact with them. So um, I'm, I'm hoping that you'll participate in that. Well, I'm sure like uh, a lot of people, you probably uh, paid some attention, at least early in the week, to uh, Hurricane Irene and watched her work her way up the coast. But we weren't paying attention like people in maybe New York City or uh, um, out in uh, the Outer Banks, um, except for uh, Shelly on our staff, who's just up here. She was supposed to, supposed to go on vacation there next week, so uh, I'm not sure if that's going to end up. So she's, she's been watching it. But uh, for those people who were in the path of the hurricane, there was a sense of urgency. You know, if you know it's coming and it's big and it's powerful and it's potentially destructive, there's a sense of urgency about either get out or really get prepared for what's coming. And a much lighter note, uh, I'm looking forward to uh, next weekend. It's the beginning of college football season, my favorite time of the year just about. And uh, that's right. And um, I-, I was thinking about college football and thinking that, um, you know, we get down towards the end of a-, a football game and the score is close and the team that's trailing gets the ball. And the time is running out. There's a sense of urgency about trying to score, isn't there? And, the, you know, get the play in, get it called, get to the line of scrimmage, get the ball snapped, execute the play, see if we can score. I was thinking about when U.S. Airways plane went down in the Hudson River and the people climbed out on the wings. There was a sense of urgency about getting boats out there to rescue them so that no one would drown. But what happens when your family is sitting around in the evening, it's dark out, and maybe you're watching TV or playing games, and the lights go out and they stay out? Isn't there a sense of urgency by somebody to go get a candle and light it or to find a flashlight because we don't like being in the darkness? Well, I want to look at some words this morning in the Bible that Paul writes that I think communicate a sense of urgency about our call, the call that God has placed on our lives to be His light. And so I hope you brought your uh, Bible or your smartphone or iPad. Would you find your way to 1 Thessalonians, a little book, little book towards the back part of your Bible? Uh, Colossians, Philippians are there, or Philippians, Colossians, and uh, then First and Second Thessalonians, and then Timothy. Uh, I want to look at some words here. Let me recap, though, while you're finding your way there, where we've been during this series, uh, Streetlights. We've been talking about the reality that Jesus has called every one of us who is a Christ follower to be His light. He said in Matthew, you are the light of the world. And that light should shine visibly, brightly, all the time, everywhere we go. And today I think that Paul writes something in 1 Thessalonians that ought to give us a sense of urgency about letting that light shine. So let me uh, read this. Paul uh, writes this letter probably to people a lot like us. They were Christ followers in the city of Thessalonica in the ancient New Testament times. And here's what he writes beginning in verse uh, 2. He says, and, I, and by the way, I'm reading uh, today, I, I normally read from the NIV, the New International Version, almost exclusively. But today I'm reading this from the New Living Translation because I think this translation really uh, captures a couple of thoughts uh, in a really clear way for us. So here, here's what he says. We always thank God for all of you and pray for you constantly. As we talk to God and Father about you, we think of your faithful work your loving deeds, and then I love this next part, and your continual anticipation of the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you're reading from the NIV, it says the, the hope of Jesus Christ. And that's what our hope is, isn't it? Our hope is in Jesus, and the reason we have hope is because someday He's going to return. 
And so I love these words here, that continual anticipation of the return of Jesus. Verse 4, we know that God loves you, dear brothers and sisters, and that He chose you to be His own people. For when we brought you the good news, and Paul begins here really to kind of give us a a three-step process that happened for these people in Thessalonica. The first thing is, they bring them the good news, the message of Jesus Christ. It was not only with words, but also with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true. And you know that the way we lived among you was further proof of the truth of our message. We're going to come back to that verse later. So you receive this message with joy. There's the second step. They received the message from the Holy Spirit in spite of the severe suffering it brought you. In this way, you imitated both us and the Lord. As a result, you yourselves became an example to all the Christians in Greece. And now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere. Third step in the process, they begin to share the message with other people, even beyond Greece. For wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. We don't need to tell them about it, for they themselves keep talking about the wonderful welcome you gave us and how you turned away from idols to serve the true and living God. And they speak of how you are looking forward to the coming of God's Son from heaven, Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. He is the one who has rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. So here's what's happening. Paul's explaining this three-step process. You see, at one time, the people in Thessalonica were living in the darkness of their own sin. They were far from God. That is until Paul and some others lived out the call on their life to be a light to them. And they came and shared the good news of Jesus. And their lives were changed, transformed by the good news of Jesus. And then they began to live out the call on their life to be a light to other people. And they began to share the good news of Jesus with others. There's something very interesting in this passage that uh, popped out at me as I was uh, actually reading this for my own quiet time. I I noticed that as I am reading this, Paul weaves through this whole book uh, uh, reminders and encouragement that Jesus is coming again and that we need to be ready for that coming. In fact, specifically, when you get to chapter 4, Paul talks about the fact that we don't have to grieve like people who aren't Christ followers. He said our our grieving when we lose somebody is different because our hope is not in this life. Our hope is in the coming of Jesus. And he gives some pretty specific details about what the second second coming of Jesus will actually look like. And then he moves into chapter 5. And listen to what he says there. He says, I really don't need to write to you about how and when all of this will happen, speaking about the coming of Jesus. For you know quite well that the day of the Lord will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. When people are saying all is well, everything is peaceful and secure. In other words, when they're saying, hey, life is really good. Then disaster will fall upon them as suddenly as a woman's birth pains begin when her child is about to be born and there will be no escape. He says people will be saying life is good. And then suddenly disaster is going to fall on them. Here's what he's saying. There are going to be people who think life is good, but they don't have any relationship with Jesus. And when Jesus comes on that day, it's going to be disaster for them. Because they're going to be facing an eternity in hell. Now, I've heard of thieves doing a lot of stupid things. Um, in fact, I did a little, I went back and looked for some stories this week. Now, these, some of these are a few years old. The first one, these guys actually uh, stole that, that uh, U.S. SUV. They backed it into the 
glass window of a gas station and tried to steal the ATM. I, I guess they didn't realize that they bolt ATMs to the floor. And they even tried to tie a rope around it and pull it away with the SUV, but they were unsuccessful. They left it in place. I like this next one about Peter Addison. He and a high school buddy of his in England broke into a um, camping ground, kind of like a 4-H campground. They got into a, a particular building there and they began to break glass and they sprayed the fire extinguishers and they wrote graffiti all over the wall. Now, our bright boy Peter Addison, in, amongst his graffiti, he wrote, Peter Addison was here. It didn't take police long to track him down and arrest him. How about these next two guys? They went into a record store. That's those vinyl things that play on a, a turntable, guys. Yeah, and uh, they went into a record store. This was years ago. And they were waving revolvers. And the first guy screams out, nobody move. And when his partner actually did move, it scared him and he shot him. Smart guys. But, but here's my favorite one. The guy goes into a Bank of America. I think this was in Seattle. And, uh, or San Francisco. That's where it was. San Francisco. He gets a deposit slip and he, he writes a note to the teller. This is I-Z, a stick-up, S-T-I-K-K-U-P. Put all the money, M-O-Y, in a bag. But while he's standing there, it takes him a while to write this out. And uh, he's thinking, you know, all these people are seeing me. Somebody might be able to identify me. So he decides he'll go, he'll leave the Bank of America, go across the street to Wells Fargo and present the note there. So he does that. He goes over, he presents the note to the Wells Fargo teller. She sees the note, the broken English, and thinks this guy is not very smart. And so she says to him, she says to him, you know what? This is written on a Bank of America slip. I can't use that here. You'll either have to fill out a Wells Fargo slip or go back over to Bank of America. He pauses for a second and says, Okay. He gets out of line and goes back over to Bank of America where police arrested him while he was waiting in line to get to the teller. Thieves do some stupid things. But I have never heard of a thief that gives a warning. I mean, nobody's ever gotten a letter, right, that says, I am pleased to announce to you that at 7 p.m. on Wednesday, August 31st, I will be robbing your house. Nobody does that. And I don't go through the day thinking, oh, I wonder if I'll get robbed today. No, a thief comes unexpectedly without warning. And Paul says, Jesus is coming again in the same way, unexpectedly, without warning. And Paul warns us that for people who are not following Jesus, that unexpected arrival of Jesus will be disastrous because they will be faced with spending eternity in hell. Now listen, the reality that Jesus is coming again and that it is potentially disastrous for some people ought to create in our hearts a sense of urgency about the call that God has placed on us to be His light, to share the good news. It ought to create in us a sense of urgency that causes us to want to do something. Imagine, imagine that somebody uh, felt really bad for the homeless and so they, they went out and they built a building just to house homeless people. And they put warm beds in it and they built a nice kitchen that could produce all kinds of warm meals and they trained their staff. What would you think though if they never invited any homeless people to actually come into the homeless shelter? 
we'd think that's ridiculous, wouldn't we? Or what if somebody went out and built a children's hospital? They equipped it with all of the latest equipment. It was fully staffed. They took hours to train their staff. Everything was, that was needed to care for a child and to bring healing to their life was there. But what would you think if they never actually brought any children into the hospital? We'd think that's ridiculous. What if the Red Cross this week, who has staged thousands of people and all kinds of equipment along the eastern coast of the United States, what if after the hurricane goes through, they moved into position, they set up their kitchens, their mobile kitchens to serve meals, and they set up their trucks to hand out necessary items to people. But when the people came, they refused to give them anything. We'd find that deplorable, wouldn't we? What do you think of a light that doesn't shine? See, there ought to be some sense of urgency about it. And there doesn't seem to be a sense of urgency sometimes in the church in America. If you look at the recent studies about the church in America, and if they're true, and I think they are, the church is losing ground in America every year. I know heard about a pastor, it's a friend of a friend, who did a survey, a study of his own congregation, his church. He discovered that in his church, only 12% of the people had even offered a single invitation to somebody to come to church in the last 12 months. Only 12%. Now, I don't know what the statistic would be here. I doubt that it would be 100%. Probably not even close. How can that be? if we understand the urgency of living out our calling to be God's light. I think verse 5 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 points to something that ought to happen to us when we recognize the reality of the coming of Jesus. There ought to be an urgency about how we live our lives. Listen again to, to verse 5. Paul says, For when we brought you the good news, it was not only with words, but also with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true. And then notice this part. And you know that the way we lived among you was further proof of the truth of our message. Paul says it wasn't just about our words. It was about how we lived. Look at verse 7. He says something similar. As a result, you yourselves became an example of to all the Christians in Greece. It was about their the example of their lifestyle. If you move into chapter 2, verse 4, Paul says, For we speak as messengers who have been approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Why could they be entrusted? Because of the lifestyle they were living. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He is the one who examines the motives of our hearts. Paul says clearly, it's not just about your words about how you live your life. And there ought to be an urgency about how we live our life. You know, there is a contrast, isn't there, between light and darkness? But there is something wrong if there is no contrast between the life of a Christ follower and the life of someone who is not following Christ. And far too often, there seems to be in our lives little contrast. You know what? This, This light is a powerful contrast to darkness, isn't it? In fact, it's really bright. We had no idea how bright a streetlight could be. 
you've noticed the progression, right? From the first week when it was right over my head and you were all blinded by it, to the second week we tried moving it to the side of the stage and it was still blinding, to now we actually have a shield on the front of the light and it's still kind of distracting, isn't it? That light is a powerful contrast to the darkness, unlike the street light outside of my bedroom window that I've talked about several times that doesn't work. And at night, you know what, when it's not working, there's no contrast. It just blends right into the darkness. You don't even know it that it's there. And I'm afraid for far too long, our lives have just blended in to our culture. There's nothing different about them. But there should be. There should be a contrast. There should be something that is different about our lives. Not in some weird, repulsive kind of way, but in a way that communicates to people, I have discovered something in Jesus Christ that has changed my life. And He can change your life too. In another one of Paul's letters in Galatians chapter 5, he lists some characteristics that ought to be true of our lives. We, we know them as the fruit of the Spirit. Paul says in verse 22 of Galatians 5, but when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, did you catch that? When the Holy Spirit controls our lives, He will produce this kind of fruit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, I want you to do something for a minute. I want you to go back and I want you to reread that list to yourself silently. And I want you to think about your life this past week and ask, did I live out those characteristics this week? Go ahead, take a moment and do that. Yeah, how'd you do? Let me tell you a story about my week. And I'm not proud of this story. Uh, I don't remember what day at the office this week, but one day uh, the, the fire inspector comes. And uh, so Kim comes to my office and says, oh, the fire inspector's here. And I knew the mood I was in and thought, I'll just stay in my office. That'll be the best place. And so I did. And uh, he did his little inspection of our office, and uh, he found a couple of ridiculous things that he thought were wrong and marked those out and said, you know, I'll come back and reinspect later. And so uh, he told Kim all this, and she signs the little form, and she brings it back to me. And I look at it, and it frustrates me, but I just kind of stick it aside. He uh, goes down to our other two units, and uh, he inspects down there, and he finds some more frivolous things that have no pertinence to anything in life, as far as I'm concerned. But um, So he writes those things out, and uh, you can see where this is headed, right? Uh, he writes those things out and uh, brings it back. Kim signs it and she brings it into my office and I scan down through there and I see one of these things and I think, well, that's not even true. That's ridiculous. And so I get up out of my office. I'm mad at this point, And I march down there to kind of verify in my own mind that uh, that's not true. He's written something down about wires and doesn't he realize those are low voltage? He shouldn't be worried about that. And so then I march back down. He's still there in his truck writing out some stuff and I get him out of his truck and I say, this isn't even true. He says, well, let me show you. So we go back down there and I show him the wires that I'm thinking about and says, that's not the ones. And he shows me this other little wire that to me has like no bearing on anything. And he says, that's the one that's the problem. And, uh, and I'll tell you what I said. And honestly, I'm not proud of this. I'm not, you know, there's some humor in all this, but I'm not proud of it. I said to him, I don't know who sits around and thinks about, thinks up all this crap. That's ridiculous. And he said a few more things and he left. Now let me ask you seriously. How attractive do you think Jesus was to him in that moment? 
Yeah, my life didn't look any different, did it? Here's what's worse. He knows where I work. My life didn't look any different. I didn't have a sense of urgency in that moment. How about your life this week? How'd you do? Now here's the thing. Other than the fact that when he comes back on September 23rd to reinspect, I owe him an apology. There's nothing I can do at this point to undo my actions. And it's the same for you. We can't undo our actions from this past week. But you know what? All of us can choose how we will live in the week to come. And we can choose that we will respond to people with kindness and gentleness and patience and that we will have peace in our lives. And we need to choose carefully how it is that we live because there is a sense of urgency about the fact that Jesus is coming back and there is an urgency about the call of God in my life to be His light. And that matters in terms of how I live. There's another thing that I think the coming of Jesus ought to create in us, this urgency ought to create a boldness in us. Listen to what Paul says again in chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians, verse 2. He says, You know how badly we had been treated at Philippi just before we came to you and how much we suffered there. Yet God gave us the courage to declare His good news to you boldly even though we were surrounded by many who opposed us. They shared the good news of Jesus boldly. And so should we. You know what I notice about Paul's life as you read his story through the book of Acts and in the letters that he writes? There are so many times that he shared Jesus simply by telling his own story. Jesus had dramatically changed Paul's life. And so he just simply shared his experience with other people. We can do that. But for some reason, we have been deceived or we have deceived ourselves into thinking that we have to accumulate a whole bunch of information in our heads before we are qualified to be a light. But as you read through the Bible, that's not the example that we're given. There are so many cases where people just simply shared their story about how Jesus had changed their life. And you know what? We all, every one of us who is a Christ follower, has a story about how Jesus has changed us, how He's changed the direction of our lives. And we can share that story. And the fact that Jesus is coming again ought to create in us an urgency that says, I have got to be bold about sharing my story. Matthew 28 records the words of Jesus when He said to us, His followers, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. In essence, a whole other way of saying, go, be my light to other people. Pretty clear instruction, right? Do you see the part there where He says, hey, you know what, I know, there's a, I know there's a church on every street corner, so you know what, don't worry about reaching your neighbor. Somebody else will do that. Yeah, that's not there, is it? Do, do you see that part where he says, you know, your, your church is really growing, it's getting fairly big. I mean, after all, you're going to have your own land and building soon. You know what, just relax. You don't need to reach any more people. No, that part's not there, is it? 
Do you see that part where he says, you know what, I, I know being a light can be kind of inconvenient, and I don't want you to be inconvenient, so, so don't worry about it. Now oh, that person not there, is he? Do you see that part where he says, you know what, you can leave being a light up to the trained professionals. I mean, after all, they've got all the training. They, they know what they're doing. No, that person's not there either. Do you see that part where he says, you know what, there are, there are going to be millions of people in heaven. It, it doesn't matter if some people don't make it. No, that's not there either. None of that is there. And the primary reason that we as Christ followers are still here on this earth is to point people to Jesus. And there ought to be an urgency about that responsibility in our lives. Okay, so I have one more story to tell you about street lights and darkness and all that kind of stuff and uh, me running. And then I, I promise, like for months, we're not going to talk about darkness, street lights, or me running, okay? But one more story. So uh, when my son Michael was uh, getting ready to go back to college, he was going through his clothes and um, he was sorting through stuff that he doesn't want. And uh, he, he had this uh, shirt, I can't remember what you call these, what, drive then or drive whatever. Drive then? Drive fit, thank you. And uh, so uh, he said, you want this, Dad? Because it's the, he got it for when he was playing football at Waldorf and he didn't want it anymore. And so I said, sure, I'll, I'll, wear, I'll take that and I'll run in it. Knowing that I run in the darkness. And no person who looks like me should be seen in a shirt that is this tight, okay? Muscular like my son, looks good. Overweight like me, not so good. So, you know, I, I take the shirt because it's light, and so I start running in it, and I run in dark shorts. Well, I don't even think about it, what I have on, until I'm out running one day, and uh, there's a car coming at me. And it keeps getting closer and closer, and it is not moving towards the center of the road at all. And I'm thinking, I don't think this guy sees me. You know, so I kind of get over in the grass, and he goes on by. And I don't, you know, I think, well, that's just that driver. Well, I keep running, and the next car that comes around the corner does the same thing, just keeps getting closer and closer, and they're not moving. And finally, you know, I'm really sharp about things. It dawns on me, I have on all dark clothing. They really can't see me. And this is a bit dangerous, potentially. Running out here in dark clothes in the darkness. Now, we can sort of laugh about the fact that it's dangerous for me to run in dark clothes out in the darkness, but you know what's not a laughing matter? There are literally thousands of people in our city that are running through life in the darkness and it is dangerous for them as long as they don't know Jesus. And it will be ultimately disastrous for them if Jesus comes back and they've never accepted Him as their Savior. Friends, God takes very, very seriously His call in our lives to be His light. Crosspoint, he, he takes very, very seriously His call for us as a church to be His light in our city. So here's what I want to challenge you with today. I, I want to challenge you with the seriousness of this call that God has given to every one of us who is a Christ follower. In fact, I want to challenge you with the seriousness of by asking you to do something about it this morning. I've asked um, some of our staff and shepherds to, to be here if you'll come ahead and make your way to the front. They're going to be down here in the front. And I believe that God's call for us to be His light is a very specific call in our lives. And I want to ask you this morning that if you're willing to acknowledge that call in your life and to accept that call, 
that in a moment as Rick sings, you would step to the front and you would allow our shepherds to anoint you with oil, acknowledging God's call in your life to be His light. And they're going to pray over you just very briefly. Because I think that's how serious this call is that God has placed on every one of us to be His light. So if you're willing to acknowledge that call this morning and to accept that call and to be a light, then you come and you let these guys anoint you and pray over you and live that call in. So if you're willing, go ahead and come as Rick's.